0: A warm welcome to our new studio. It's the old Common Ground Cafe in Rondebosch. And it's a great privilege to be able to be connecting together today. My name's Paul Morn, and you just watched the passage that we are gonna be exploring together. It's a passage with a lot of disorientating events, hometown rejection by Jesus. And we're gonna be learning about what that can mean for us in our disorientating times today. I was recently on a conference call with people from across Africa, Mauritius, the DRC, Kenya, uh, Côte d'Ivoire. and what was so fascinating was how all of us, although in very different contexts, had this in common. We were all trying to work out what of this season of lockdown we were going to keep with us and which changes we were going to need to make. We're all asking that question. How how do we change? One of my favorite moments was Paula from Uganda leaning in, unmuting herself and saying, guys, one of the things we've done is we're now homeschooling our kids. And right now there are 10 kids from around the neighborhood and a teacher running around our home. I won't be able to say much, uh, but I am listening to you. And then she quickly muted herself. It, It was a crazy conversation to have, but those are the conversations we're having at the moment. And as we... Decide how to change. It would be wise to look at some of the models of change that exist. In business, I know of a model that says freeze, unfreeze, and then refreeze. Speaking about this moment of, of unfreezing that we're in before we settle again. A model I prefer is this one, which has for years helped people make sense of change. The first step is known as orientation. We all orientate in a certain direction and we're now going through a period of disorientation. It feels like a lot is up for grabs. But as we re-enter, we're going to be reorientating our lives and we'll pretty soon get back to a semblance of normality or new rhythms for life. So what do we do in these circumstances? How best do we navigate this time of change? The big idea for today is is that we are going to, in these disorientating times that we're living in, reorientate our lives around Jesus. And Jesus is a controversial figure. I love how the New York Times put it. They said, what is beyond dispute is that Jesus of Nazareth is one of those perennial questions in history with which mankind is never quite done. In a ministry of two or three years, he attracted and infuriated his contemporaries, mesmerized and alienated the ancient world, unleashed a movement that has done the same ever since, and so changed the course of history forever. If you resonate uh, with those that are alienated by Jesus, uh, you're in good company, but there are a whole bunch of us right now that I trust are looking to Jesus as we reorientate our lives. And so once again, the big idea for today is just this. That in these disorienting times, we need to reorientate around the new life offered by Jesus. We're going to be looking at that passage that we just watched. And there are three main points that I I want to get across. The first relates to the claims of Jesus. What is he saying about himself? Then there are basically two responses to that claim. There's the hometown response and the disciples' response. And this final response is really the one I think which we can use as a template, as a model, as a prototype of what we should be thinking about at this time of life. So let's start with the claims of Jesus. You saw it uh, depicted there. He comes into his hometown. And throughout the book of Mark, which was the earliest gospel recorded and is the shortest gospel, Mark has essentially been, up until this point, answering the question, who is this man? Who is this man? And we've seen a bunch of reactions to Jesus. And he's about to enter his hometown, but just a quick recap around some of the reactions he's, he's had. Of course, he's got some disciples, some apprentices, some people that have been uh, happy to reorientate their lives around him. But there've been many others that have rejected him. He's been rejected by Pharisees, Herodians, scribes, by his own family and by some very, frightened people that saw what he was doing and and backed right off. And what's interesting about those that have rejected Jesus is that they come from quite separate uh, political spheres. There's those on the left and the right that have rejected him. Economic brackets, the rich and the poor have rejected him. It seems like Jesus offends and the claims of Jesus offend all different types of people. But there are those that aren't offended. There are those that reorientate their life around him. And so, Right now, at this moment, we see him coming home. What, what, what is his hometown going to do? Are they going to be like those that reject him or like those that accept him? And you see already that there's quite a large gathering of people. It's on the Sabbath and we see that they, they're coming to hear what Jesus has to say. Think about it. He's left this hometown as a carpenter, but he's coming back as a rabbi. This is a small town, only about 500 people. And it starts incredibly well as he starts teaching. It says that they were astonished. Keep reading and we notice them saying things like, where did this man get these things? What what source has he got for this message? What is the wisdom wisdom given to him? What he's saying makes sense. It's it's orientating our lives correctly. And how are such mighty works done by his hands? He's not just saying something, he's backing them up with what he is doing amongst us. It sounds initially amazing. They are struck by the claims of Jesus. Now, we don't see it here, but I want to quickly cut to Luke 4, which is another gospel which gives an account of this moment. And here is what Jesus does when he goes in on the Sabbath in the synagogue. He gets the scroll from Isaiah, and this is what is read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Imagine that moment, his whole hometown, everyone he'd grown up with, all these eyes are on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What a moment. Jesus speaking about the spirit of God being on him, proclaiming good news, speaking about liberty, recovery of sight, liberty again, and then the favor of God. What an incredible moment. And he begins to unpack that. It's it's something which, which the people of Israel have been waiting for. Mark's trying to answer this question. Who is he? And Jesus is providing the answer here. I am the Messiah. I am Emmanuel, God with us. In this disorientating world, God has not left us to himself. He has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is good news that gets declared. How will they respond? How will the the, the the home crowd respond? Will they reject Jesus like many have done or will they like their apprentices reorientate their lives according to the claims that Jesus has made? And we're gonna get into that, but at this precise moment, I, I think in Sodom sight of my heart, I'd imagine that they, they would be giving him a hero's welcome. Do you know that even today, Nazareth is not known for anything other than that Jesus came from Nazareth. It, it, it really is a, a town that has one claim on it. And it's it's that Jesus had it as his hometown. And it reminded me of a recent movie, which many people have watched on Netflix. It's called Eurovision. And here's a picture of uh, two unlikely singers disappearing to go to a big concert. And they're from this little town called Hesovic, which no one really knows. And they don't really have anyone saying goodbye. I think those other people are sort of waiting for their own bus. And they're kind of just like, oh, you're also going. And they're waving goodbye. And it seems like a, a, a nothing adventure. And yet, oh, they sing about their hometown. They put it on the map and they return to a hero's welcome. Here it is. I mean, it's not a big town, but there are people rushing around with flags and with such joy. And that's kind of what I expect is about to happen with Nazareth. Thank you, Jesus. You've put us on the map. But you've already watched the passage, right? And you know that's not the reaction. How about you? How about you? How do you react to the claims of Jesus when you read there about good news, about having your, having your sight restored, uh, about God's favor? Do you, do you resonate with that? in these disorientating times where we're all muting, unmuting, and, and trying to decide what, what going back to life looks like, are you, are you leaning into who Jesus Christ is and what he has to say? Or are you keeping him at an arm's length? Don't let this be a message for someone else today. As we look at these responses of the hometown and as the apprentices, I pray that God by his spirit will be at work in our hearts and stirring us to reorientate around who Jesus is and the good news that he proclaims. So that that is the claim of Jesus. We hope he gets an amazing welcome, but we're gonna see that he doesn't. And let's now look at what the hometown do do you see that it's going quite well? They're astonished. They've got some great questions. They really, And then it takes a turn. Have a look at what they say. They say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joas and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You see, there's quite a lot going on there. I, I actually just noticed sometimes for the first time, that Jesus had a brother called Judas. I mean, how awkward is that, right, that that, that would be the case? So, I mean, th- there's, there's a lot going on in this passage, but I, I did want to focus on how they are actually taking Jesus down with their comments here. Is this not the carpenter? Notice, they're not referring to him as a rabbi. He's come with his disciples, but they say, no, 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 he's a carpenter. Don't be fooled. He's not a rabbi. Notice also that they refer to him as the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph. Very unusual in that culture to refer to him as the son of a mother, not the father. Some commentators have pointed out that perhaps they'd noticed that, you know, Joseph and Mary were married, but a little bit sooner than nine months later, Jesus arrived and they were maybe questioning something of his checkered past. And then finally, they just kind of pointed to brothers and sisters and go, this is a very ordinary family. This is not something to be uh, raved about. They're just very ordinary. And you'll notice in many ways, they were, they were caught up on the how and they never got to the wow. They were caught up on the how, like how could this be? How could it be? And they never got to the wow, God has come moment. They just couldn't accept that God would come from their town and in this person. I want to differentiate at this moment between the unbelief which they are showing and doubt. Unbelief is just going, I don't believe it and I'm, I'm rejecting it. But doubt is belief struggling for, for, for reasons. It's, it's, it's someone who's saying, I'm, I'm struggling towards belief. Help me. Doubt is natural. Doubt is part of what it means to follow God. And in times of disorientation, doubt is going to happen. It's, it's part of what it means to be made in God's image, of, of to struggle for truth. And if you're someone in this time who's doubting, I would encourage you to, to ask questions of those in your uh, in your life who can help you orientate around Jesus. That's a, it's a very different thing to unbelief which, which essentially says I'm, I'm walking away from this. I'm rejecting this. For, for those of you that have doubts at this moment can I encourage you to, to doubt your doubts. Don't stay in that place but come and, and ask questions and, and do life with us as we follow Jesus together. What does Jesus do in this moment of, of rejection? Well, he says something to them. He says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, in his own household. He says, you know, I'm representing God to you. That's what a prophet does. And you are rejecting me. You're not honoring me. Jesus quite securing himself. He's saying, you know, that's not going to diminish me, but it is going to have an effect on you. One of the effects is that he doesn't heal many people because of their unbelief. Their, their rejection of him means that Jesus is not going to respond to that lack of faith. Remember, <clears throat> Jesus is recorded here as saying that he marveled because of their unbelief. They weren't, they weren't doubting him and, and asking honest questions. They had thrown out their hands and said, I'm sorry, Jesus. You a carpenter. You, you come from a checkered past and your family's not that impressive. We're walking away from you. It was unbelief that they had responded with. Jesus marvels at this. He's declared such good news to them, right? He's speaking about liberty, God's favor, the recovery of sight. He's, he's saying for once we can know who God is, what he's like. We can look at the life of Jesus and, and just understand God's grace and his mercy and his joy and his hope and his goodness. But they're not, they're not into that. They're rejecting the wow because they've been unimpressed by the how. Again, I was thinking of, a, of an analogy that would work and I recently watched a movie called Yesterday. It's a, it's a little bit of a bizarre plot, but here it is. Uh, Struggling Singer gets hit by a bus and when he wakes up, the world is different. It's like almost like a parallel world. And in that world, some things had never happened. And one of them was the Beatles had never sung a song. And so he sits there kind of mesmerized because, for once, he can play Beatles songs. And no one knows they're Beatles songs. They credit it to him. And he's blown away by this. And he thinks of a few songs. And he records them. And, of course, he launches out in this incredible career. And everyone's blown away by his songs. But there's this quite amazing moment. And hopefully you can see it here. Him and the piano. And there's his mum and his dad. And his mum and his dad have known he's been a struggling songwriter his whole life. And he says, mom, dad, I'm going to play you a song. Let it be. Possibly one of the greatest songs that's ever been written. And in your mind's eye, you're thinking, oh, he's going to play this song. His parents are going to have tears down their cheeks. They're going to be like... Oh, our son has written one of the most beautiful songs ever. And so he starts playing it and you're thinking, oh, what a precious moment this is going to be. And then the doorbell rings and they get up and the neighbor comes in and they say, oh no, our son's just trying a new song. It's called um, Leave Him Be. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's let, let, it, let It Be. And then the neighbor sits in and says, okay. And then suddenly his phone starts ringing and he interrupts it. And, and, uh, and the mom says, no, play your let, it, let, let Him Be again. And it's just a disaster. It's just an absolute disaster. And at one point, he looks at them now and says, you are at the moment where Leonardo paints the Mona Lisa. You've seen um, something beautiful take place. This is, this is the most marvelous thing. You're the first people ever to listen to the song, Let It Be. And you're missing it. And he marvels at them. I hope you can get the analogy, right? So Jesus is in his hometown. He's presenting incredibly good news. God has come to rescue and redeem And restore in disorientating times. He's come to them. But they're just overly familiar. They don't receive him. I I think of the fact that a lot of faith systems in the world try to do this. They try to help us escape reality. They try to get us out of the mess of this world. They promise a pathway out of disorientation. What Jesus does is something totally different. He comes into the mess. He comes into the disorientating times. He presents himself with us and he promises to transform those times as his kingdom grows. For weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be capital C citizens of the kingdom. It it means that right here, right now, we're part of reweaving the fabric of our nation and, and of the world. We do so humbly, we do so empowered by the Spirit. But we're not looking to escape reality. We're looking to transform it from the inside out. And we make mistakes, but we get re-empowered and and we're part of what it means to be capital C citizens of heaven, but also citizens of, of Cape Town. And we work that out together. Most faith systems try and help us escape reality. Jesus helps us to transform reality. But that might not sound that impressive to us, and it didn't sound impressive to them either. Either, I like how the Pillar Bible Commentary series put it. It said, "God has identified too closely with the world for the world to behold Him, too closely with the town of Nazareth for it to recognize in Jesus the Son of God." Humanity wants something other than what God gives. The greatest obstacle to faith is not the failure of God to act, but the unwillingness of the human heart to accept the God condescends to us in only a carpenter, the son of Mary. So how about you? Those in Nazareth struggled to accept Jesus because he just seemed too ordinary to them. But how about you? Are you keeping Jesus at an arm's length in these disorientating times, precisely the time when you should be leaning in more and more to him? And and in preparation, I really do encourage um, you, if you... If you feel that this fits, if you feel like you're rejecting Jesus, can I just encourage you that perhaps you might be rejecting the wrong Jesus. Perhaps the Jesus you're rejecting is one that you haven't actually realized is, is, is fake. Have you, have you engaged with Jesus as, as he leaps out to us from the pages of Scripture? Perhaps you've had Jesus misrepresented in your thinking and in your heart. I think of what the great Welsh preacher, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said. He said, There is no grosser or greater misrepresentation of the Christian message than that which depicts it as offering a life of ease with no battle and struggle at all. Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. See, when Jesus came to announce good news, he didn't announce the good life. Hashtag blessed, everything's going to be fine. And perhaps in our thinking and messages we've heard, we've filtered that message that when Jesus steps into our life, things are going to get easier, cozier. That's not at all what he promised. Remember, this is his own hometown. 500 people would have gone to school with him, you know, would have probably had their furniture in their homes. They're rejecting him. And next week when Ian preaches, we're going to see the prophet John, the one that baptized Jesus, the one that heralded his coming, Jesus' own cousin, perhaps the like, number one apprentice of Jesus. He gets beheaded next week. And sandwiched between these two incredibly disorientated experiences of rejection and death is going to be this call to the disciples to be with Jesus and to be on mission with Jesus. How about you right now? Perhaps you're experiencing the disorientation of financial issues, health issues. Life's gone on and 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 things have hit people hard. Can I tell you that Jesus doesn't promise you an easy life, but he promises you an easy yoke. He promises that he's with you and he's equipping you and his spirit is comforting you and it's empowering you. And so when when you're given a choice of response, which is what all of us have, you can choose to reorientate your life as the apprentices of Jesus did then, we can do now. And that's the final third of this message. It's looking at the disciples' response to Jesus. We've seen the claims of Jesus, the, the hometown response, and now we look at what the disciples themselves did. And it starts right there with those couple of words saying he called The 12. He called the 12. It starts with Jesus grabbing their attention and them hearing his voice and them responding to his voice. Them saying, you know, Jesus, you're not not just like the the end decision I make at the end of the life. No, no, no. What you offer me now, the new life you offer me now is what I want to orientate the rest of my life on. It's Jesus saying to them, I'm calling you. Come and get what I've got. Come and savor me. Come and learn about who God is. Remember what I've been saying, um, and we'll capture it on the next slide, is that the, the, the disciples were called in disorientating times to reorientate their lives around the new life offered by Jesus. That makes all the difference, right? What we're going to see them do from now on for the rest of the book is mesmerizing. They are going to be an incredible community that has an exclusive message. Remember the message? Jesus is the Messiah. No one else is. Jesus has good news. No one else does. Jesus sets people free. He is the one who gives sight to the blind. He is God with us. That's an incredibly exclusive claim. But yet they will form to become one of the most inclusive acting communities of all time. We sit now on the tip of Africa, transformed by this God and by this message. An exclusive message, but a radically inclusive community that has lasted for thousands of years. Their response, though, starts by hearing the voice of Jesus and gathering to him and savoring him. And then it takes off. Why don't we do the same here this morning together? Let's let's invite God by his spirit to increase our appetite for him, increase our desires. I don't know what that looks like for you. Is it time in nature? Is it after this, this play, just creating a, a, a period for silence and solitude, perhaps it's talking to some people about those aspects of God that you've lost sight of. But let's start by savoring the voice of God to us, cherishing it. And then and then we can look quickly at what the disciples got up to. Once they heard Jesus speak to them, what did he call them to do? Well, firstly, he called them to go, right? He sent them out in amongst persecution and beheadings, he says, go out, go out in pairs, go do this thing. Don't go out alone, go out in pairs. And that's why I say embrace the priesthood of all believers. Who do you have to the left or to the right of yourself that you're doing life with? Who is it that you feel like you are letting have access to your life and that you're stirring up yourself to to make a difference in the city at this time? There's never been a better time to reweave society to be part of lasting change than right now. I think of uh, the families that gather every Wednesday in our life, our community, uh, the, the different families represented. I think of the WhatsApp messages. I think of the tennis matches, the ridiculous trying to relive our cricket glory days moments. I think of praying together and processing big decisions together, our kids getting to know each other. Who is it that you are coming alongside in the mission of life with? Who is it that you are doing a community with? And can I just pick up on something that I've noticed? If you, if you had to wake up with Paul in the morning, you'd notice I'd have my wife next to me. I'd have my family. And then you'd notice I would some neighbors. I'd then have um, shops and people that I see on a regular basis. You'd have my life group. And you'd have these concentric circles going out. And I'd probably say that my ability to love people is probably highest, the closest you are to me, right? I can love those closest to me. And and the further that goes out, probably at the level of international politicians and international celebrities and international sports people, I have very little ability to love them. But yet, if you look at how I spend my life, I can be consumed with information about a whole bunch of people that I can't even demonstrate love to at all and know so little about what's going on amongst those so close to me that I have a massive ability to love. I'm not putting this on you. I'm just sharing what what, what I've noticed in my own heart. Part of what I feel God's teaching me to do is to lock shoulders with those who are close to me, who together we can love each other and love the city we are part of, rather than getting pulled in all kinds of directions with circumstances that have got very little to do with me being able to affect change at all. Let's embrace the ability to know each other, and love each other together. And then let's expect authority. Jesus gave them authority and he does the same. In resurrection glory, he called his disciples and sent them out and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. So we can go with a level of boldness. Notice this isn't an attitude of we own the place. This is an attitude of we get to serve and love the people in our city. In humility, we can expect the authority of God to be at work in our lives. Notice then Jesus gives them very practical advice to keep it simple. To keep it simple, there's talk there about not bringing a whole bunch of stuff, no two tunics. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom going on here. Jesus is effectively saying to them, don't go around begging with a bag, which was common practice at the time. Rely on the hospitality of people. So don't take two tunics because that means you've got to ask to stay in someone's house. And when you're in their house, don't leave there prematurely because the common practice at the time was you would enter a village, stay in a house and then if you did well, someone with a bigger house would offer you new accommodation and then hopefully someone with a bigger house would offer you even more accommodation and so it was almost this like village politics you could get involved in, upgrading your accommodation. And Jesus puts all that to bed and says, no, 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 whatever the house is you entered the village in, stay in that house. Don't get caught up with sideways energy. Jesus is telling them to keep it simple. That's something of what we've been trying to do as a community, right? As we've been talking about spiritual formation, as we've been talking around rule of life, like last week, we've been talking about that analogy of putting the big rocks in first, then you can put it in the little rocks, then you can put it in the sand. Same with our life; we put those big rocks of time in God's Word, time with God, time enjoying Sabbath rest, time in community. That we just keep our life simple, but doing those spiritual formation. Uh, practices together. If we're not doing those practices, we're not, we're not keeping life simple, right? And that's kind of what Jesus was pointing out to them and what he might be pointing us out to us today. The final thing, and perhaps it's hard to hear this one, is that Jesus told them to expect difficulty and it's the same for us today. Jesus says there might be some places that won't receive you, won't listen to you, in which case shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. We might struggle to understand that gesture, but what that gesture essentially represents is a a putting the ball in your court kind of moment. It's a moment that says, I've fulfilled my responsibility to tell you the good news. What happens now is your responsibility. It's not done in anger. It's not done in retaliation. It's just a clear kind of cultural way of saying, the ball is in your court. What are you going to do with the claims of Jesus? I Thought about some of the difficulties I've faced in my life. And one of the things I had was um, changing friendship groups, having spent years at school with friends. And I'm still mates with them. They're poker nights. There's, there's times together. And I've invited these guys to church and to be part of the new life that I've found in Christ. And they've rejected it. It's 20 years since school and they're still rejecting it. And you probably say, but Paul, what's the cool line that's coming next? There isn't one. That's the end of the story. They, they are at this moment in a state of unbelief. And that's difficult. And you yourself might be facing difficult things. Think of people in our community facing tumors, facing cancer, facing unemployment, just facing uncertainty, anxiety, facing trying to look after kids and work. This is difficult stuff that we're facing. But Jesus is saying that he will offer us new life and he'll offer us himself as we go through these things. In closing, I've got a picture which uh, 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 meant a lot to me. What I'm showing you here is the biosphere. It still exists in Arizona. And this was a recreation of the earth's climate as it would exist in Mars. Uh, So in other words, trying to say, could we grow what the earth has got on Mars? Fascinating uh, study. And what happened was a bunch of trees shot up and did very well. And people thought, wow, look, trees can grow. And then very quickly, these trees collapsed in on themselves. They never were fruitful. They never were vibrant. And you know what they found out? They found out that without wind blowing in the biosphere, the trees never developed the ability to flex, and they never developed the health and strength that comes from that. And so they failed. They collapsed in. Do you get this picture that sometimes difficult things happen, and there's there's mystery, and we struggle to understand. But there's something in this Time of disorientation that allows us to send our roots down deeply into who God is, to reorientate our lives and to last for the long haul, to grab that which is truly life. And so, in conclusion, how did this all play out? Remember, this group of people went out with an incredibly exclusive sounding message. They said that they proclaimed that people should repent which means that people should change their thinking. They should go through the cycle of orientation, disorientation and reorientation. They should, they should unfreeze and refreeze around Jesus. They should see who he is, that he is the Messiah. And as they did so, they embraced one another and they moved in authority. They, they kept it simple. They kept it about Jesus. And they, although they went through horrendous difficulty and they faced persecution and still today face persecution, They could see the good news of Jesus transforming lives, setting people free. This community was incredibly exclusive sounding in its message, but it was radically inclusive because they looked at their leader. They looked at Jesus, who even though he faced rejection in the hometown and managed to escape, he didn't get thrown off the cliff. Ultimately, that rejection would take him to a cross, and he went there. He felt the full brunt of rejection, but he chose to do so so that we could experience homecoming, so that we could get the homecoming that he deserved. He died. And in resurrection, power rose again and longs to empower us with his spirit to face the difficult times we are facing. And so, change is in the air. We are re entering a world that is very different. But if we reorientate around who Jesus is and we allow the beauty of who he is to change us, we can humbly serve and be part of an incredible, incredible thing that God's doing in the city of Cape Town. Will you join me? Let's let's make sure if we've never accepted Jesus that we ask the right question. Are are we rejecting the real Jesus? Have we done the work? Have we rejected the real Jesus? And if we are considering ourselves apprentices of Jesus today, are we asking God right now to reorientate our hearts around him? Let's pray together. God, as we gathered around our city now, we invite the Holy Spirit to be at work. These are disorientating times. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to help us see Jesus facing deep projection, faith, facing the loss of his life facing the cross for us because of his love. Holy Spirit, come and minister to those of us that are experiencing great pain at this time. Show us that you experienced that pain for us. And you overcame it. And God, will you then help us to reorientate our lives around this incredible new life offered by Jesus. We don't want Jesus marveling at our unbelief. We want him to be calling us closely to him. Some of us for the first time, some of us freshly again today. Come Holy Spirit, help us to seek the king of the kingdom. Help us to live wisely and help us to love you and love our city together. For your glory. Amen.